Hi, this is The Jay Show, and this is Dr. Jay Smith here in London. I'm with my friend and colleague, Beth Grove. And Beth, it's so good to have you on board because some of this material that we're going to use on this show is really up your area. Uh, one of the things that we're going to do, first of all, is talk about the kingdom versus the Khilafah. Why is that important? Well, because the kingdom versus the Islamic State is what our two religions are all about. So the kingdom of God and Christianity, the end goal, what, what are we all working towards? What What is the whole point of what Jesus did for whole, all of humanity? And what does the kingdom of God even mean? And versus what does the Islamic State mean? What What are Muslims working towards? And that's what we want to unpack because that's going to have, should, could have an impact us here even in Britain because the Muslims do want to bring the Islamic State all over. now. The other area that we're going to unpack in this show is on women. Uh, this is r really your area of expertise. Why is this particular material important? Well, because there's a whole lot of ideas floating around out there among um, Muslims, among Christians, among atheists, um, all sorts of claims and ideas made about women in Islam. And um, a lot of those claims cannot be supported in the text of Islam. And so we are going to unpack it looking at the text of Islam itself. We're going to look at the Quran itself. Um, and it's important because how you view woman has as much impact on a woman as it does on a man. So if a man views woman in a certain way, that impacts him as much as it also impacts the woman. And of course, the, the, the way you view women um, can either be very good for her or it could be detrimental for her. So we're really going to unpack this whole area of theology and practice and opinions within the religion of Islam. Now, that's for our second, our second episode. These are the two areas we're now going to look to. Uh, of course, the Khilafah includes everybody. Women include half of the population of the world. Uh, and you represent this. This is what you did your master's degree in. And so it's important that we have you here to do that. The kingdom of God versus the Khilafah. The Islamic State. You remember this because you first met me or you first saw me at the debate where I actually put this all together, didn't you? Yes, uh, it was between Sheikh Omar Bakri Muhammad, who was the leader of the Hal Mahajrum before he was um, not allowed back in the UK. And I, you were debating him on the Kingdom of God. And we were in the hall and there was hundreds of Muslims in there, quite radicalized Muslims, because they're part of a radical group, the Al Mahajrun. This is Anjum Chowdhury's Anjum Chowdhury group. This and is Sheikh Omar Bakri Muhammad's group. And there were these banners around the room that were saying, Islam, the future for Britain. And the Khilafah, the Khilafah. is coming to you. The yeah. Khilafah. And the debate was on the Khilafah. Yes, yeah. uh, in fact, these are the notes from that debate. These yes. are the exact same notes I use on that debate. I brought it with me tonight just so we could go through them. And what I want to do is what I did at that debate. Now, remember, at the beginning of the debate, um, we're good friends, and we were good friends. We shook, and we were good friends even afterwards. But he went for the first 45 minutes. Maybe it was about half an hour. I can't remember. But it was a long time. And he did something that really gave me a headache. He showed what the Khilafah would look like. Yeah. And he thought that he was really giving us a great, glorious... Some of the things, do you remember? Can you remember that? It was 1999, but can you remember any of the things that came up in that, that debate? That was a long time ago. I know what he would say because I know the Islamic theology on that, but I can't quite remember what he Let said. Let me tell you what he did. He went through this and he said, listen, when the Khilafah comes to Britain, first thing we're going to do is we're going to cover up you women. <laughs> going to make you cover up. That's Surah 33, Ayah 59. So he actually went to Scripture and he supported what he was saying. Secondly, he said... If you disagree, if you don't like it, then we will beat you. Surah 4, Ayah 34, which we're going to get into later. And then he says we're going to take all the homosexuals and we're going to take all the adulterers and we're going to give them a hundred lashes publicly. Surah 24, Ayah 2. 
and then we're going to take all the thieves. We will get rid of thievery. There will mm -hmm. be no more robbers. There will be no robbery. You're going to love living in the Kilafa because we will take all the robbers and we will cut off their hands. Surah it's basically five, society of threat. And if you don't abide by the law of the Islamic um, rules, then you, you live in fear and threat. And that's the idea of trying to bring peace to society is threatening society. Terrible society to live under. Absolutely, and I had a throbbing headache after about three, 30 minutes of this, and after listening to all this, I was just sitting there kind of just, I didn't know where and to go. And the crowds were, were, were shouting takbir, ala wakba, and so on. Yeah. There was a lot of cheering, and it was my turn. And I remember I got up there, and I did this. I Rather than sit there and go point with point, I didn't want to have to hammer him. Because he wanted to see where my kingdom of God. He says, now, Jake, where is your khilafah? Where is your Christian khilafah? Khilafah means Islamic State or state, of, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the, the, the state. So I said, I'm going to show you my Khilafah right now. And I asked the Christians, now there was only about 300 Christians there. That's as many as we could get. They did not come to a debate. I had the hardest time even getting them to come there. You were there. and yeah, you were, you, phenomenal. Uh, I didn't even know who you were. And at that time I said, could the Christians please raise their hands? And they would not raise their hands. None of them wanted to raise their hands in front of that thousand, about a thousand radical Muslims who were all around them yelling, takbir, alhamdulillah and all the other chants that were going on. Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah, they were going, Allahu Akbar and all the rest. And I was saying, okay, I want you to raise your hand, Christians. Please raise your hands. I need your help right now. Mm -hmm. So I said, now, I want all you Muslims to look at all these people that are raising their hands. And I just started counting them out. One, two, three. There's the kingdom of God. There's my Khilafah. One, <laughs> two, three. There it is again, Sheikh. Look at that. One, two, three. Ah, look at that. And what I was doing, I was actually quoting from Matthew 18, yeah. verse 20. In Matthew 18, verse 20, and I said to the Sheikh, in my Bible, God, Jesus says, where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am with you. Yes. All it takes is two or three. Yeah. There's our kingdom. There's our Khilafah. And it's right here in this room. Take a look around you. There it is again. One, two, three. One, two, three. And then I turned to him and I said, you see, this state, this Khilafah, is not of this world. It's really one that we're really waiting for on the other side of it. But the one that is in this world, I said, is not made up of people like you and me. In fact, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, Jesus was actually asked to define what he meant by the kingdom of God when he said, what about paying taxes? And uh, Jesus says, give me a coin whose image is on the back of the coin. And the image was Caesar's. And he made that famous statement, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God, separating church and state. So over here is Caesar. Caesar goes to war. Caesar can have all these rules and regulations, and we are to support the government. In Romans 13, it's very clear. Paul says that we are to support the governments because God institutes government. But we're not over there. We're over here. We belong to God. And I said to the sheikh, and I turned to him, and I says, now this kingdom over here. The kingdom of God is separated from the state. You bring the two together. You bring church and state together. And so it forces everyone who's not a Muslim to live under Islamic law. Whilst with the way Jesus has set it up is that, yes, we respect the laws of the land. We are law-abiding citizens as much as we can be. And we respect our, the authority that's been put in place. But we don't impose Christianity on those who don't believe in it. We give people the option to choose, but it's not imposed upon. People are not forced to live by Christian values. Now, we believe Christian values does transform 
transform society and is good for society, yeah. but we don't impose it. And that's the difference, Jay. You have the idea in Christianity of, of, of redeem and lift. It's the idea that a person's life is changed because they commit, they commit to Christ. He transforms them. He changes them. They then begin to impact their family positively. Their families are transformed and changed. They then begin to impact their community. Their communities are changed. And the whole of society is lifted because people begin to serve others. They begin to think of others beyond themselves. They see that life is not about them, but it's about other people, loving God and loving fellow In man. In fact, there is a sociological term that yeah. describes Red that. Redemption it's called and lift. Social, uh, redemption and lift. Yeah. And you can learn it when you learn sociology. But Islam is usurp and control. That's the difference. Redemption and lift, Islam is usurp and control. So this redemption and lift is what we were getting at. And I remember saying to him, what you will notice is, to, and I asked the Christians to raise their hands again. And I said, come on, I want you to raise your hand. And I said, all of you in break, after, this, uh, after the break, I want you to go to those people who have raised their hand and ask them how they live. Mm -hmm. Ask them what they do with sin. Ask them how they dress. Ask them what they do with people who are poor and the oppressed. Ask them how they delineate between the roles for men and roles for women. And I say, what you will find is that Christians live differently than a lot of the other people who are outside the store. A lot of the other people who are here in Britain, right outside yeah. of London. And that's an important point to make. Um, many of my Muslim friends, it's taken me a long time to help them understand that what you see on the streets of London, what you see in Hollywood is not representative of what the Bible teaches. It's go. not Christian to be Hollywood. It's not Christian to be out drunk on the streets. And so a lot of Muslims think they look Look at England, for example, they think England is a Christian country and they don't realize, no, it's not a Christian country. It is post-Christian. It is beyond Christianity. It's rejected its Christian heritage. Right, right. And that's what Muslims need to understand. When you look at England or America, you are not looking at an, a Christian nation. You're looking at nations that have rejected their Christianity. But when you look at Christians, we live a different way. Yeah. We have a whole set of rules different than the rest of the world. And we don't necessarily put impose our morality on the others, but we do have morals, uh, uh, we do have moral diktats that are in scripture and what's neat about it, even those moral diktats that are in scripture, you can see how Paul is probably the best one to go to. We go to Paul to find out how we're to live. And what Paul says in Galatia, he doesn't say in Ephesus. What he says in Ephesus, he doesn't say in Philippi. What he says in Philippi, he doesn't say in Corinth. He really, contextualize it depending on the but context. But the reason for that is that God deals with humanity right where they are. There you go. He doesn't impose one for all. There's a moral constant, uh, there's constant morality. God does not change his morality like Allah does. Allah is all over the place when it comes to morality. But Yahweh, the God of the Bible, he is, cons he is consistent in his morality. But the way he works with huma human beings, he deals with them where they're at yeah, and yeah. he deals with their specific issues. So he deals with them and he lists them out of their troubles and then he brings them to where he needs them to be. Now, in that debate, I wanted I want to find out where this Khilafah was that he was talking about. And I, I looked at a number of models and we don't have time uh, to, do, to go through it today because there are just too many other things we want to go into. But I wanted to look at the present reality. Where is that Khilafah today? Is it, <laughs> is it, does it exist? Because it's very clear in Surah 24, Ayah 55, and in Surah 63, Ayah 8, that Allah promises power to those who submit to His law. So I assume that it must be right from the last 1400 years, there should be a Khilafah that's from there, that existed at the very beginning in 624 when it was initiated, inaugurated by Muhammad himself, according to the traditions, there in Medina, from 624 up until, well, when he died in 632, he was the bin that created it. And then when he died, Abu Bakr took over for two years. When he died, 
Umar took over for 10 years. When he died, Uthman took over for about 12 years. And when he died, then Ali took over for about another five years. The golden years. period of the Islam. Golden, the Rashidun period from 624 to 661, roughly 40 years. And there have been movements all through history, Islamic history, where they have tried to implement this Rashidun, this golden period, back into society. We even have one example existing right today. And I remember asking, okay, if this is such a great period, this is your best period, let me ask you, what did your prophet do to the Jews living in Medina when he first moved there? Well, he what did he do with the Banu Kaimuka family, the Bandandir, and the Banu, especially the Banu Kuraiza family? Yeah. And he didn't want to answer on that. And he was, you could see that he knew that, I, that, he didn't know that we knew this. And this is something you can do. If they are talking about this Rashidun mm -hmm. period, ask what Muhammad did to the Jews living yeah, especially the Banu Qurayza, because we know that he took 800 men and slit their throat in one afternoon. You can get that in Al-Buhari, you can get that in Sahih Muslim, you can get that in Ibn Hisham, Al-Wakiri, you can get that in Al-Tabari. I've given you five sources in three sources. different genres. Now, the mm -hmm. Sira, the Hadith, and the Tafsir, you can find that story repeated. So this is not something we're making up. Now I asked them, is that your model? <laughs> that if you, you don't like somebody, like the Jews did not like Muhammad, they did not respond to him, they did not respect him, they did not consider him a prophet, should you cut off the heads of the men, take the women as concubines, and take the children as slaves? Is that the model you want to use today? He didn't want to answer that, so I went on and I talked about, well, let's look at the other model. I went to the Ottoman model. And I just wanted to go through what the Ottomans did, because they were the closest model, they were the last Khilafat, the final Khilafat. Now, of course, we have ISIS. Yeah, since which is a ISIS, very good example of what Muhammad did. Yes. That's an even more one. In 1999, we didn't have ISIS at that time. But if you just look at the Ottoman Empire, look and see what the Ottomans did with the, with the Assyrians, and especially with the Armenians. In 1683, they burnt the villages in Austria. In 1822, massacred 27,000. In 1842, killed 10,000. In 1847, decimated 30,000. In 1860, slaughtered 28,000. In 1876, butchered 12,000 Bulgarian Christians. In 1894, wiped out 300,000 Armenian and Assyrian Christians. In 1915, that's just the last century, 1.5 million Armenians and 250,000 Assyrians were killed. In 1918, another 15,000 Armenians. Now, this is massacre after massacre yeah. after massacre that Muslims do not like to admit. And ISIS has done the same. And many Muslims say, oh, no, 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 ISIS or the, or the Ottoman Empire, there's nothing to do with Islam. But actually, it is according to the text. You judge a religion by its text and by the role model. The book model. of the man, the book of the Muhammad man. and the Quran, Look Muhammad the and his biography. Now, we've done that. We've already done that already many times mm -hmm. here. Uh, we, we've looked at the book and we've looked at these verses. We're not going to do that tonight. But the man himself, Muhammad, is yeah. very clearly that who he was was a violent man. How he dealt with those who refused to accept him, like the Jews in Medina. Uh, um, um, uh, we have uh, Asma bin Marwan, the poetess, poetess, who wrote poetry against him. Look and see what he did to her. He had her destroyed by one of his disciples, went and killed her while she was suckling her baby in the middle of the night. And when the disciple came and told Muhammad what he had done, he was praised, great are you, Omer, for what you have done for your prophet. This is the example of the man. And that's why when you look at the Khilafah versus the kingdom of God, ah, oh, we've got a better book. We've got a better man. We've got the best man. What Jesus says uh, when the kingdom of God, it's not a place. It doesn't have boundaries. It yeah. doesn't have any embassies. It's, it's where all to do with salvation and relationship with, with God it's himself. It's a relationship. Yeah. It's yeah. a relationship. And that's the kingdom of God that we're preaching tonight. Now, we want to go on to a third uh, um, uh, area, and that's women. And this is where you come in. And I really want you to help me with this. 
rather than go and unpack, because Beth, you could go for hours on women because this is your master's degree. This is what you're really good at. This is really one of your areas that you've mm -hmm. probably, I don't know of anybody that knows this better than you do anywhere in the world. And so that's why I want to bring you in here. Can you just give me seven verses that you would like to help the people out there? What are the seven verses that you can give them, quick verses that you can give them that will get, uh, help them uh, to uh, talk with their their women. Well, Surah 4.3 is very helpful because it's the whole polygamy first and it's also sexual slavery of woman. So it talks about what your right hand possesses. So that's okay, a very Surah good four, verse. Three. Surah 4.3. So chapter 4 of the Quran is very good. So you're going to give me a few in to. chapter 4, okay? Um, Surah 4.11 where it talks about Surah a woman's 4, inheritance is much less than that of a man. Um, if you go to Surah 424, it's the idea of almost legalized prostitution in the Arabic. The English translation doesn't allow for this. It's the idea that you can, again, marry a woman who's already married. Surah 424, that the one that your right hand possesses. Right hand possesses in Arabic always means a slave. The, the woman that belongs to you, or the woman you've paid for, or the woman that is your slave woman. Caught in yes. the context of the war, yeah. okay? Uh, not necessarily, but, but Muslims often say it's in the context of war. That can re really relate to any scenario. Okay, so that's three. Um, Surah 4.34, if your wife, so it says man, it starts um, with man is above woman, and it's the idea that he is above her. She, the woman then um, uh, maintains her husband's property, right. and then if she displeases him, then he, can, he admonishes her. He, he, he ignores her, separates her in the most private part of the marriage. He separates her from um, his bed, and then he beats her until she obeys him. And we talked about the word daraba, which means to scourge. There's no lightly about it. Uh, this yeah. last uh, last Sunday, uh, mm -hmm. Paul Williams tried to say this is with a toothpick, and I mentioned afterwards, well, there's going to be a run on toothpicks now. Everybody, go get your toothpicks. Well, the Muslims, like, that's really some Muslims relate mind. to a verse much later on in the Quran that talks about um, beating with grass, and they'll pick up lovely English grass, and there'll be lovely little soft English grass. <laughs> I'm going in Saudi Arabia. That's probably not the kind of grass you're going to get, even if it is with grass. You think of elephant grass. Think of real tall, strong grass that you sweep the floor with. That would hurt if you get beaten with it. I, but the context doesn't even allow for grass. That I is an, a, an addition to the text. I was doing a debate with Alan Tamimi, uh, um, Tamimi uh, on this at Cambridge Union, and he, yes. this verse came up. And uh, he turned to me and, he, and I, he said, Mr. Smith, don't worry about it. It's the last of all the other two. And it's nothing really important. So it's the last thing you do. And he tried to come up with this idea that it's nothing more than, than like a grass. I said, well, okay, let's put through the sequence. First of all, <laughs> admonish them first. That's, that's okay. Uh, if that doesn't work, you go to something more serious. Throw her from the bed. That's pretty serious mm -hmm. as a woman because that's where neglect. you... Neglect. It's neglect. Not only that, but that's really where you fulfill your uh, wifely obligation. In Islam, you do, yes. In Christianity, you're valuable whatever, you know, whether you're single, married, childless, or have children. Um, but in Islam, uh, you, your identity comes from marrying because Muhammad said that marriage is my way so those who have my way um, it's the idea that you would get married um, a woman shows her value by having children especially male children so if a man is neglecting a woman in that context then he's neglecting something that Islam holds as very important for example many Muslims will say paradise lies at the feet of mothers now Muslims say all oh, this because Islam reveres women well actually no it shows that if there's any woman revered it's only a mother uh, and what does that mean paradise lies at the feet of mothers it means that a woman gains her value as well from from being a mother so so uh, in many ways it's it's um, women in and of themselves are not valued but okay. it is quite detrimental to to take a, so hugely Islam. significant if you're thrown from the bed yes, and so yeah. I said to Dr. Tamimi so first of all you admonish that doesn't work okay throw her from the bed that should really change your mind that still doesn't work oh, oh okay so throw grass at her <laughs> 
That will really change your mind. And by that time, everybody was laughing. And I said, you know, this is the stupidity of it. It's obviously three gradations, each one more serious. And the last one, the final one, is beating her. And he says, well, you know, I know some women that know they love to be beaten. He made that. He should not have made that. Not in Cambridge and certainly not at a He lost that debate. What's interesting is Surah 428 says that if a a wife is displeased with her husband, so this is what the wife has to do. There's the other foot. The other way, she has to try work, or Allah is pleased with them if they work it out peacefully. So she has no recourse to, to try help get her husband in line. She has to try work it out peacefully because that's what Allah is pleased okay, with. Okay, so we have Surah 4, Ayah 3, Surah 4, Ayah 11, Surah 4, Ayah 24, and Surah 5, Ayah, Ayah 34. Give me yeah. some others. Um, Surah 2, 2, 282. So Surah 2, Ayah 282. Yeah, and that talks about a woman's testimony is half that of a man in Islam in a court of law. Okay. And of course, Muhammad went on to say that this is in the Hadith and the sayings of Muhammad that it's because women are deficient in their intelligence. In the Quran itself, it's because it says if one woman errs, the other can correct her. But Muhammad goes as We don't further. need it as men, but you women <laughs> need it because yeah. you need, you're not as intelligent. Now yeah. that must, for anybody listening to this, that must disturb all of you women who are listening to this. And I hope it does. And you need to ask your Muslim, Muslim friends, do you really think that women are less intelligent, that they need another one to help them in the law of court? Whereas men don't because we're so highly intelligent. Not in England, not in Britain, not with standardized testing. Here, women outperform girls, outperform boys in every category. We used to have math and science as our one one bastion that we held on to. That was destroyed as of 1993. Girls even outperform us in that. Girls are not less intelligent, not if they're given equality, especially in education. So that's Surah 2, Ayah 282. Another one? So Surah 2, Ayah 222 to 223. These are really troubling verses. Um, it gets quite gritty here, but it talks about how um, a woman is a tilth for a man. So go into your woman when and how you want. So this is sexually. It's sexual and it's... Um, so it's like marital rape. It, it can allow for marital rape. It uh. certainly could allow for it because um, she is his property and he can go into her when and how um, how he wants. I remember the, the debate you had with Tabasun. You brought this up. And Tabasun, the lady that was debating you from Canada, she tried to say, well, this is nothing more than how do you go and you fertilize. It's all to do with fertility. She's talking about field, beauty, yeah. But it, it's still to plow her, it says. Yeah, yeah. You plow her. But it's also, there's no verse, like in, in the Bible, in um, 1 Corinthians 7, it says that a man and a woman belong to each other, and that they are to bring, it's about the idea of sexually you bring uh, mutual satisfaction to one another. Um, in Islam, it's um, the Quran is for men, it's to men, it's about men. And in marriage, um, marriage and divorce mostly are directed, any verse in the, in the Quran that um, talks about marriage and divorce is directed to men. It's very rarely directed directed to women, except much later on in the Quran. So let's go to this, where Allah the, this verse on his, divorce. The this is also in Surah 2. Yeah, Surah 2, Surah 4 are big verses when it comes to women. So you've and done Surah, Surah 2, 2 Ayah 282. Divorce. You've done Surah 2, Ayah 223. And then we have Surah 2, 230. 230. So uh, a, a, man, verse. a man can divorce, uh, so a woman gets divorced, but in order... Simply by saying three times. Talak, on talak, three separate talak. occasions that a man can say, I divorce you on three separate occasions. But if the next morning he wakes up he says oh I did a mistake mm -hmm. what, he, what so what ha first? happens is if she's divorced then she has to go to another man she marry be married by that man consummate the marriage and then um, then only after that he divorces her and then she can go back to the first husband so again it's, it's the idea of sanctity or protection of marriage of keeping that intimate bond together is not there when you really unpack what the Quran That's teaches. horrendous I mean as a woman Beth how does that make you feel well it just me it seems to imply all these verses um, for men, to men, and about um, the marriage relationship seem to be all 
connected to some sort of sexual deviance, um, i.e. a man can uh, use his wife how he wants, i.e. a man, in order to uh, come back to his wife that he's divorced, she has to sleep with another one. Um, a man can uh, rape a, uh, and that would be the modern way to look at it. It would be against the law of the British society for certain um, that he can take a woman already married, Surah 424. I'm just trying to get my mind around this, Beth. Why, if I'm a man and I have a problem with my wife, I divorce her because she burned the food or whatever, the next morning I have to let her go lay and have sex with another man. Why would I want her back? I mean, what? where is this idea that that would somehow purify her it so that I can want her back the second now, time? Now, some Muslim apologists will say that this is a deterrent so this doesn't happen. So a man doesn't divorce her that easily. Um, certainly you could approach it that that one way, but actually in, in many sense, it means that marriage in Islam seems to be all about sex. That's all what it seems to be. And if you For look- For a woman, she is nothing more than chattel. That seems to be what it is. She is chattel. If you look at the word nikah, you have zawaj and nikah. Nikah is in, in English, you would translate it. I'm not gonna say it um, on film, but it, the F word, we would say the F word. That's really in essence what it is. Um, but in, in, in the, in the in the Quran, um, it has two words. It should use the other word, but it uses most often uses nikah. Well, I love what and the Bible the does. does. I love the corrective. The Bible. Take a look at this idea of polygamy. Then four zero four three. The Bible is very clear, right from the very beginnings in Genesis chapter two, verse twenty four, that a man and a woman are to come become one. So, for the yeah. very the whole intent that God intended from the very beginning was that man and woman were to be one. The marriage contract that's repeated in Matthew nineteen, verse five, and First Timothy. 3, 2. Very clear that a man and a woman become one for and, life. And not until uh, death do, till love do us part, yeah, till death do yeah, us part, yeah. or not because you burn the food do us part, it's <laughs> you stay with me for life. And you become one flesh. Um, what's interesting, the Bible does report stories of some people marrying more than one woman, but it never says this is the way it's to be done. It's the idea of this is what happened in history. God still worked his um, plan through it, even though a man and woman were really um, deviating what God had and certainly even some of the prophets got married but it's not a role model for today that's it's a it's a way from what God's ultimate plan let's was. go on real quickly because we're gonna run out of time but I want to just re just show the biblical alternative when you do a comparative equality you know here you have inheritance uh, a, a girl gets half the inheritance of, of her brother in Bible, it's very clear that there's equality in Galatians 3.28 is that famous verse. There's all no difference equal. between man or woman, slave or free, Jew or Greek, all are equal in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter talks about a woman is, One Peter is three, the same seven. In, in the grace of life. She's the, you're equal in the grace of life. Galatians, uh, Hebrews 4, uh, 14 to 16, both can approach God directly. Uh, when you look at the difference between with slaves, the idea of slavery and concubinage uh, that you see in Surah 4, Ayah 24, and in Surah 33, Ayah 50, Slavery, oh, I love the fact, Galatians 3.28, there is no difference. Yeah. It's free or slave, all are equal in Jesus Christ. And Philemon, verse 16, says very clearly Paul that you are slave, slave and slave masters who were becoming Christians at the time, said you are to see each other as brothers. Brothers in Christ. Yeah. He redefines the whole context of what slavery is. You're no longer master slave, you are now brothers in Christ. When you look at wife beating, oh, look at that, what the, the corrective is to that. Uh, 1 Peter 3.7 and Colossians 3.19, Husbands must 
must love your wives mm -hmm. and never treat them harshly. It's complete contrast to what we see in, in fact, 204 In fact, in the Bible, if a man treats his wife harshly, it's not even talking about beating, just treats her half harshly, his prayers are hindered. That's how serious it is to the biblical and God. And probably one of the best ones is Ephesians 5.25, where Christ compares himself to the church as a husband to a wife. And he says, as Christ was willing to die for the church, a husband should be willing to die for his wife. Yeah. What a corrective to 04, Ayah 34. The testimony of a woman is half of that of a man. Look and see the greatest event in the history of mankind. Was a woman in the Bible. Jesus had the died. The resurrection. Yeah, Jesus Who had was died. the first to see him? He had risen again, and the first to see him was a woman, and he told a woman to go tell his disciples, the men, about what had happened. So Jesus entrusted what had happened into the hands of a woman. Knowing Phenomenal. that in Judaism, yeah. the testimony of a woman is half of that of a man. Yeah. He still entrusted a woman. The first women, uh, fast for the second time, he showed himself to a group of women on the way to Bethany. So Jesus appeared, purposely, appeared, yes. purposely appeared to one woman and then a group of women to be announced the greatest event in the history of mankind. What a testimony. And of course, Tilton divorce. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 40, it talks about how our bodies belong to each other. Yes, I mean, what's troubling um, with the Quran, Jay, is that these some of these Surah 424, Surah uh, 43, and so on, these are direct edicts, apparently, from Allah, according to the Quran, to tell men how to treat women, which it, uh, turns out to be quite abusive. But when you look at uh, abuse situations, say, in the Old Testament, where there was abuse of women, it's not God saying, this is what you are to do. It is the, it is the actions of human beings, where the Bible is reported yeah. normal actions of human beings which hurts one another and um, but God always brings about solution and Jesus Christ is our example yeah. of how to treat man and woman man and woman together where we're friends together men and women are brothers and sisters together Surah 4, Ayah 3, Surah 4, Ayah 11, Surah 4, Ayah 24, Surah 4, Ayah 34, Surah 2, Ayah 282, Surah 2, Ayah 223, and Surah 2, Ayah 230. These are eight verses that you can use to help your Muslim friend to realize, especially women, how horrendous the Quran is and what it does to women. And then show the alternative by going to Galatians 3.28, by going to Ephesians 5.25, by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the whole chapter, and chapter 7. Um, there, there's just so much we have on the equality of men and women. Now, this has been great. Now, Beth, as we're bringing this all together, we want to conclude with this. We've looked at really these two areas, the kingdom of God and the Khilafah, and we've shown that the Kingdom of God is by far a lot better, a lot more relevant, and something that I'd like to be a part of. The Khilafah is something I don't want to be a part of. I don't even understand when it happened, if it really was a Khilafah. And the Khilafah they show me in the very beginning, I, goodness sake, it was so violent. In fact, 1,400 years of the Khilafah, up until 1924, from 624 to 1924, I don't know of any period where it wasn't violent. So it's not a place that I would want to be. No, and ultimately, God is not there. He's not part of the Islamic State. There's an imposition on, on everyone. Whilst if you look at the kingdom of God in Christianity, it's all about walking and talking and being with God for all eternity. That's what it's all about. Now, as we finish this segment, I want you to turn to the camera and just talk to the camera a bit and say, as a woman, what was it about the biblical text versus the Quranic text that really attracts you. If you could just wrap this up and bring this to a conclusion as a woman, better than I could do as a man. Well, you know, one of the most helpful ways to look at this is to look at the example of Muhammad and to look at the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did Muhammad treat women? Uh, it often seemed to be in the context of as a wife or even the context of sexuality. Um, did he treat women as healthy, we say in English, platonic friendship, i.e. did he see women as his sister? 
sisters? Did he protect the widows of war? Well, no, not really. He was the one who widowed often many women of war, uh, in war, caught up in war. But what about Jesus? You see Jesus talk to all sorts of women, women even of the night. Did he abuse them? No. Did he sleep with them? No. What did he do with them? He forgave them and then he, he, he took their repentance and he helped them become the kind of woman that they are supposed to be in God's eyes, become um, uh, honorable women, women who honor God with their lives. He reinstated them. He saw their value. Um, some of Jesus' best friends, Mary and Martha, uh, they, he treated them as his sisters. In fact, Mary talked with him as a man would talk in that culture. Jesus treated women with absolute value and equality. And, and, and he's the God of heaven. He's the one who created woman. And look how he treats them. So the best way to really wrap this all up is look at the example of Muhammad. Look at the example of Jesus mm. and then choose who you would rather follow. I would like to follow the Lord Jesus. Okay, thanks so much, Beth. We're gonna have to leave it there. Uh, we're gonna come back in the next segment and unpack who God is. Uh, is he Allah or is he Yahweh? We'll see you in the next segment. This is Jay then, over and out.